Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you, all of you online. Glad that uh, you allowed us to join you wherever you are at. We are going to start off our time today playing a little game, all right? A little true and false, because I know you guys like to learn, but I know we also like to have fun, right? So you can have fun and learn, right? Let's go. Um, so I'm going to read off a handful of theological statements, and you have to determine whether they are true or false, whether they are biblically sound or not biblically sound. All right, ready to go? Ready to go? Yeah, yeah all you online ready to go? All of you online, you got to say your answers out loud too. So let's start with the first question. First question, God's will for your life is to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Would you say are true or false? Okay, okay, okay. The answer is false. Absolutely, he wants you to be holy, right? He wants you to be like him. Uh, second, uh, you can be saved or forgiven by God without baptism and communion. Would you say true or false? Okay. The answer is? All right. Just make sure you guys are tracking. You guys are tracking. Third one, Jesus was created by God. True or false? <laughs> you guys are like false. <laughs> the answer is? False. Jesus is God, right? He's part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He was not created by the Father. That's what the Bible teaches. Fourthly, we get a second chance after this life to be saved or forgiven. True or false? False, okay. And the answer is? False. All right, you guys got it right? You got it right? Uh, how about this one? Man is born inherently bad, not inherently good. True or false? <laughs> you guys like, true? All right, the answer is true. Absolutely. You never have to sit down with a child and say, let me teach you how to be bad. Let me teach you how to say no. All right? We just do it on our own. Sixth, uh, you still need to follow the Jewish law to be saved and forgiven by God. True or false? Okay, the answer is false. Nicely done, nicely done. And last one, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, meaning he was wholly divine and wholly flesh. True or false, would you say? Okay, and the answer is true. All right, give yourselves a hand if you're good on that, all right? You know, even playing a game like that shows us the need to have an understanding of theology rooted in the Bible, rooted in God's word, rooted in the truth. And uh, we know we live in a day and age where truth a lot of times is seen as that which is defined by the person looking for truth. So my feelings, my thoughts, my perspective, my tradition, my upbringing is, is where I will find my truth. Or your truth is good for you, my truth is good for me. And that's not really a biblical understanding. We want to be people of sound doctrine. And uh, the word sound means to be whole or free from error. And doctrine is instruction, right? And for the Christian, it's a set of beliefs uh, that revolve around the core, essential, foundational phase of um, our trust in Jesus. And so without knowing sound doctrine, we can be deceived. We can be lured away by someone else who's very uh, compelling in their arguments. Or we can even deceive ourselves by our own emotions or thoughts or, or desires or appetites to, to wander away from sound doctrine. And when we do that, uh, we really err in how we see God and how we can relate to God and how we see ourselves as people who are made in the image of God and who He is and how we relate to our creator. We also will drift away from our understanding of Jesus and who he is as God the Son and the value and purpose and power 
of his sacrificial, substitutionary death on the cross for our sin and his victorious resurrection from the grave and how that has made a way for us to be forgiven and to be in relationship with God. Uh, We drift from that when we become people who drift from sound doctrine. And drifting from sound doctrine can also have devastating consequences in this life and the next because our souls are at stake. And eternity hangs in the balance, and eternity in heaven or hell is determined by whether or not you are rooted in sound doctrine. Also, maybe you've never thought about it this way. What if it's hard for you to trust God, or maybe uh, to be intimate with God, or maybe you have a hard time experiencing joy in your worship of God, or you lack peace, or you lack joy, or you lack hope, or maybe you're plagued with insecurity or anxiety. Uh, Maybe you're having a hard time finding fulfillment and contentment in life and purpose. Maybe you don't have a spiritual hunger, or you have a, a hard time recognizing the voice of God. Uh, Those things could be because you have a pride issue, you have a sin issue, a compromise issue, an obedience issue. But a lot of times, it might be because you have a doctrine issue. You might actually be believing something that's not true about God. And so uh, this really does play out in our life. So we need to be people who receive, believe, and defend sound biblical doctrine. It's vital to the life of those who are followers of Christ, and it's vital for the church, his body. So we're going to continue today uh, in a series we're calling We the Church, and we're going through the book of Titus, and we're looking at uh, at the church in in a little closer way, and today we're going to talk about how being a part of the church means defending it from false teachers and false doctrine. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to the book of Titus, and uh, we're in chapter 1. I uh, was hanging out in our life group this last week, and some of our life group folks just admitted, they said, man, I have a hard time finding Titus in the Bible. And if you need a tip on where to find Titus, it's in the New Testament, which is you know, the back portion of the Scriptures. And it's about halfway through the New Testament, surrounded by other books with the T word, all right? So you've got the Thessalonians, you've got Timothy, and then you've got Titus. So it's just a, it's a little tip for you if you have a hard time finding Titus. Those of you using an app, you're like, it's really simple. I just found the word Titus and touched it. Um, all right, let's look at Titus chapter 1, reading verses 9 through 16. And uh, 9 is an overlap from last week where Pastor Joe was talking about elders and qualifications for those who lead in the church. And it says here in verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in, what's the next two words? Sound doctrine, all right? And also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is truth. I thank You that in a world that is so easily drawn away from your truth, 
You have given us your word. You've given us yourself. And you keep calling us back to that which we can root our lives in, root our eternity in. So God, thank you for providing uh, your word, your truth. God, we pray that today you allow us to, to be thinkers, listeners, hearers, and doers of your word. God, also we continue to pray for those struggling right now, those who are just struggling because of anxiety or fear or maybe health or maybe they've lost a loved one or they've lost income. Father, would you just continue um, to, to just minister to them? God, would they find how real and present and reliable and trustworthy you are? Father, we continue to pray for our nation. We know our nation needs lots of prayer. Lord, during this, uh, these last days of our presidential election, Lord, we just pray that you would put your hand on our nation. And God, would your people especially, the church, would they be a perfect example of people who are filled with hope? and joy, and peace. God, we know who sits on the throne. And Lord, you sit over who's ever going to find themselves in that Oval Office. And so we trust in you. We don't trust in men or women. We don't trust in political parties. God, we trust in you ultimately. And may that be played out when people see us through how confident and hopeful and secure we are because of who you are. So God, be with us this time. We ask in Jesus' name. We all stand together. Amen. So if you were here last week, you, you heard this teaching on elders. And if you weren't, I encourage you to go back. Pastor Joe did a great job in just talking about eldership. And it's a joy for me to be able to serve with uh, men who are godly men. They are gifts to this church. They are gifts to God's kingdom. And we looked at the qualifications of elders, people who were to lead the church. And Pastor Joe did a great job uh, last week talking about how those requirements are given as qualifications for elders to lead, but really uh, they are qualifications that we all should aspire to. That They really should represent not just those who lead the church, but they really should be representative of those who are in the church. So when we look at this qualification here about holding fast to the trustworthy word and, and able to correct in doctrine, that, that, that should be true of us as well. And so we need to be people who can identify uh, false teaching and false teachers and deal with it in a loving way, but a, but a, but a firm way. And so with that, I want to look through uh, the rest of uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16 here. And I want to point out six observations that we can make related to false teachers. And the first one is this. It's the reality of false teachers. We see in verse 9 that the Apostle Paul is telling Titus here uh, to watch out because there are many of them. Verse 10 says, for there are many, and he goes on to explain them. Now, for those of you who are uh, new and haven't really been tracking with us the last couple weeks, uh, the Apostle Paul, this mighty servant of God, uh, was mentoring and investing in this young man named Titus, and he left Titus on the island of Crete, all right? And his job was to organize and encourage and equip the church there on this little island off the coast of Greece uh, and the young church that's there. And so part of this equipping was to defend it doctrinally because false teachers are trying to come in and infiltrate and lure people away to different false teaching. And so uh, Paul's basically saying, look, you want these kinds of people in place to lead the church because there are many who are trying to infiltrate the church and teach doctrines that are false. And so we just need to deal with the reality of false teachers. And, and this isn't something new. <laughs> it happened long before Titus ever landed on Crete, and it's happened a lot of times since Titus was on Crete, right? We still have to deal with the reality that there's many false teachers. Jesus warned us of this. In fact, in Matthew 24, 11, Jesus said, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 
Jesus told us that was going to happen. In fact, he said it multiple times in his word. One of the other times, God told us through the apostle Peter, in Peter chapter 2. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, a reference to Christ's death on the cross, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemy. This, this is something that God warned us of. It's something we've seen played out for centuries, and we've still seen it being played out today. I think one verse that's especially relevant uh, today, even though it was relevant then as well, was found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul is mentoring another young man named Timothy. And he says in chapter 4, verse 3 of 2 Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We see that, don't we? We see that. Where when, when God gives us his word, he gives us his truth, he says, here's who I am, here's how I want you to live, here's what I want you to do, not to do. And by the way, when God gives us instruction, it's what he wants for us, right? He's not trying to be, you know, um, one who like, kills fun. It's like, no, I, I have this way of living that's going to be pleasing to me, but also really good for you. And so when we see people read the truth of God, hear the truth of God, and they go, eh, I don't like that. Or it doesn't line up with what I feel or what I think or what the culture is telling me then they depart from it because other people will give some sort of teaching that will be more appealing to their uh, thoughts, views, and appetites. And and that's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is uh, any of us today can start a religion. Like today you could say, and by the way, don't get any ideas. I am not endorsing this. Any of us today can also go like, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a God. I'm going to make a, this like system. And, and you can create a religion, walk out of here, and start to passionately teach whatever you're teaching, and you're going to get people to follow you. You're going to get some people that are like, hey, I like that. Like, hey, I, I think I'm in. That, that's scary. And so there's many false teachers. It was true for Titus. It's true for us. The reality of false teachers, there's a lot of them out there. We've got to be aware of that. The second is the character of the false teachers. We not only need to know um, what they're teaching, but also who they are. And what we see here is God was saying through Paul, you got to look at the character of how I'm describing these people who are introducing the false teaching. you got to look at the character of the false teachers. If you go back to verse 10, Paul says that they are insubordinate, which means they will not put themselves under authority. They will not put themselves under the authority of God or God's leaders. And so they rejected Paul. They rejected the apostles. And for centuries, we've got people said, eh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to reject God's authority. They're, they're insubordinate. Also, they're empty talkers, which means they talk a lot. They make a lot of noise, but it's empty of substance. It's empty of biblical truth. And so they're empty talkers. Also, they're deceivers, which means they're compelling. They're convincing, and they will deceive people. People will get lured away by their distorted teachings. And so this is part of their character. They're insubordinate, they're deceptive, and they're empty talkers. We get a little more description, seen in verse 12. It says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And what the Apostle Paul does here is he says, hey, just to make my point, I'm even going to quote one of Crete's own admired philosophers from the 6th, 7th BC, um, you know, 6th, 7th century BC. And he quotes this guy named Epimenides who says this about his own people. And Paul says this is true. This is the character of these people, which means if the people on the island are like that, the false teachers, 
that come from the island are also going to be like that. They're going to be considered um, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's going to permeate the false teaching. It's going to be part of their character. Also, verse 16 says that the false teachers would profess to know God, but then deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And so really to summarize the character of what's been painted for false teachers that Titus was dealing with on the island is that they were spiritual con artists. That's what they were. They were spiritual con artists. They, 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 would, they, they sounded good. Hey, they sounded like they followed Christ. They probably quoted scripture. They probably had some great things to say. But at the end of the day, what they taught, proclaimed, professed, and imposed on others, and then how they lived their lives, actually there was a disconnect. And they didn't glorify Christ. It was not about Jesus. It was about tradition. It was about themselves, about something else. And that was evidenced through their character. And so therefore, it was confusing. So I think really, we can just take a page out of this book when it comes to looking for false teachers today. What what are people that we need to be careful about as we try to preserve truth in God's church? Look out for people who are um, not putting themselves under authority. Uh, they will not be held accountable. You can't challenge them. You can't question them. You can't say, hey, I've got a question about that doctrine. I've got a question about that teaching. Uh, th- they're not going to throw a fit with that. They're like, hey, let's talk about it, right? And so they're, they're not going to be um, pushing back on you in that way. They're not going to be empty talkers where they just yap a lot. But then when you look at the history of their teaching and their church, that they're not moving the needle for the kingdom of Christ. Uh, you're you're going to not find deceptive people, right? So if we see deception, these people are deceptive and there's no self-control, uh, that, they're sin- that they're justifying sinful lifestyles, behavior, we can pretty much go, we got something going on here. And so these are character flags to look out for false teachers. So there's a reality to false teachers. Uh, There's a character to false teachers that we can definitely cue in on. There's also the motives of the false teachings. Like, why are they teaching falsely? And I think we know that there's a lot of people, and some of you, this is your story. Like, Like, you came out of a background that maybe at your foundation was some false teaching some inaccurate biblical doctrine, right? And so maybe that's your story. So for a season, you weren't maliciously, you know, trying to convince people necessarily of what you knew. You just were passing on what was taught to you. So we know that there are definitely people today that are just misled. They're confused. Uh, they don't know that the doctrine that they've been subscribing to is false. But there are clearly others who know very well that what they're teaching is not according to the Bible. And they don't care. They're going to push it through anyways. And they're going to elevate the false teaching over God's word, over the glory of Christ. And what's going to be their primary motive according to what we saw here in Titus? Money. It's all about money. It says right here in verse 11, it says that they were teaching for shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. Uh, Another translation, instead of shameful gain, says filthy lucre, which basically means dishonest financial gain, money. And so they were intentionally misleading people spiritually and then wanting to be paid for it. And we still see that today. We see a lot of false teachers today that they're, they're teaching ludicrous theology, crazy stuff. And But hey, I tell you what, if I sign my book, you can give me 100 bucks, right? Or uh, just crazy stuff. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm so grateful to be part of a church where the gifts that are given to God's work, we're not using them to buy big old mansions and high-end sports cars and Rolex watches and Brioni suits, and uh, none of us need a personal jet. I'm just telling you right now, um, we're good. We want God's money to go to God's work. And so you, you, you got to look out for the motives. And I think one way to really understand the difference in the motives because a lot of times, the way you see this play out is that uh, false teachers' motives are all about personal gain, which, by the way, can be more than money. 
It could be an emotional payoff, not just a financial payoff. It's, it's, it helps their ego to have a following. It feels good to be admired or to, to, to be influential. So sometimes there's emotional payoff as well as a financial payoff. But a lot of times what you're going to find with false teachers as a motive is they want something from you. I'm going to give you my services now. Here's what you give me in return. And I think when you scan the world and look for those who consider themselves servants of Christ, not celebrities for people, what you will find is we teach out of what we want for you, not what we want from you. What do we want for you? We want you to have the most amazing relationship with God you could ever experience. We want you to experience the joy of forgiveness and knowing that you're right with God. We want, to know, we want you to know uh, that you're eternally secure and that after this life, you're going to heaven, you're going home. We want you to experience joy and peace and hope and purpose and new life in Christ. And so when you scan uh, biblical Christianity, you will find most of the, the servants of Christ, they want something for you. They're not just trying to get something from you. And so we've got to look at the motives of false teachers, and they're very clear here. Also, you've got to look at the fruit of false teachers. Jesus said that you will know false prophets by their fruit. You'll be able to identify by that which comes from their teaching. And so the false teachers that Titus was dealing here, uh, there's definitely a vague reference because there were many. So there were those that were, you know, deceptive and they were, you know, insubordinate and they were empty talkers. But then he pointed out a specific group. He said that of the circumcision party. And some of you are like, that's the party I don't want to go to, right? Um, What is that? that? That was a group of people called the Judaizers. And and before we totally throw them under the bus, just think about this for a second. For the people coming out of pagan backgrounds, Greek, Roman, you know, Parthenon, and all these other, you know, pagan religions, when they heard about Christ and put their faith in Christ, they knew pretty quickly they must reject, they must absolutely reject all their pagan idols, pagan gods, wood carvings, all their pagan practices. They knew that. But for some of the Jewish folks coming out of the Jewish system, it was a little difficult for them to really understand and wrap their minds around what it means to be a follower of Jesus because Jesus, on one hand, was the Jewish Messiah that they've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But at the other hand, he is the Savior of the world, and he invites both Jew and Gentile, non-Jews, into one body. And so they're going, well, what part of my Judaism do I keep and what part do I not need to keep? And so the Judaizers basically blended it all together, and they were very strict. So they're like, yeah, let's, let's follow Jesus, but you still have to live like a Jew. So you still have to honor the dietary uh, restrictions. You still have to honor the ceremonial cleansings. You still have to do certain things on certain days with feasts and holidays. And if you're a male convert, you have to be circumcised, all right? And so just speaking to my bros for a second, hey, that makes giving your testimony and your baptism look like a cakewalk, all right? And so, so they were trying to impose all this extra onto just the simple understanding that I'm a sinner, I'm a rebel against God, God loves me, he sent his son to die on the cross in my place because of all my violations against God, and all I need to do is believe in Jesus. The simple faith, it's, it's faith alone and Christ alone to be forgiven and reconciled with God. So all these other things aren't required. So, so this, this was the fruit. The fruit was they were imposing all these other uh, necessities upon the faith. And so the fruit of that is legalism. And you still see that today being played out. There are certain what we would call works-based theology, works-based religion, which says you have to subscribe to a certain set of activities and rituals and rules in order to be approved by God. Your status with God is something you have to achieve. 
rather than your status with God is something that you receive through faith in Christ. And so one of the pieces of fruit was legalism. It came through the Judaizers. Also, a piece of fruit was clearly just departure from biblical truth. Because in verse 14, in, in speaking about these people, Paul says that they were devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turned away from the truth. So again, there was this other system that got employed. Uh, There's this list of commands that are not biblical, that now you have to do all these things that aren't in the Bible, and you have to subscribe to all this mythological falsehood that also is not found in the Bible. And so you see uh, the piece of fruit being just complete departure from the truth. And then we see another example, a sad example, of what happens when one adopts the false teaching. It's found in verse 15 in Titus 1 here, which is a very intriguing verse. And a lot of people look at this and go, I have no clue what this means. I know some of you felt that when we read through this. Like, what does verse 15 mean? What do I do with that? It says this. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. What this verse does not mean is that uh, if you see an action or attitude or sinful behavior that you're okay with and you kind of declare it as pure, then it's okay. And this, this is actually an abuse that's been taken on this verse. There have been people out there that said, oh, if it's pure in my eyes, then it's pure in God's eyes. If I say it's okay, and, and I think God's okay with it, then it is okay. So it's okay to smoke pot. It's okay to look at pornography. It's okay to cheat on your marriage. It's okay to do whatever, because I don't have a problem with it. My conscience is pure. No, it's not, because God has issue with those things, and he talks about that in his word, about being under the influence of a substance, or marital faithfulness, or avoiding lust. Like, like we can't declare it's pure if God has declared it's impure. And so what that particular part of the passage means is that those who have uh, come to understand Christ and biblical truth, they're not bogged down by spiritual paranoia. Did I mess up? Did, 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 oh, man, I cussed. That's it. I'm not going to heaven. You know, and, and you kind of live in this place of like, if what I do and what I don't do is what is going to allow me to have this relationship with God or not, then, then you're stuck. But to the pure, all things are pure. And specifically what Paul's getting at here is the dietary diets, and all the other ritualistic things, like, look, if you're in Christ, you don't need to always worry about keeping all these rituals. If you were a Jew, it would sound like this. Guys, it's okay to have bacon. That's what that is, right? Because, you know, pork was unclean, but now it's like, hey, it's clean. It's declared clean if it's pure, because God says it's okay. Now, the other part of that is interesting. It's that uh, to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences have been defiled. Their minds, the way they think, their consciousness, how they defi- uh, distinguish between right and wrong, has been broke. So now there's kind of a spiritual paranoia where everything's suspect. And so here we get me that, that legalism that creeps in, right? We're all of a sudden, uh, I, you, know, you know, bacon's still evil. And if I eat it, then God's unhappy with me and I might not be going to heaven. You know, that type of a thing. And so, so you see this contrast where you've got people who have been freed from spiritual paranoia, and, and understand God's sense of what's clean and unclean and pure and impure. And you have others who, they're, they're rooted in false teaching, so it leaves them spiritually insecure. Can I do this? Can I not do this? Uh, I don't know, so it's all bad. I don't know, so it's all bad. So I just, I better walk the line or else. And so this is really what this gets after. And so those who understand God's truth do not need to live worrying about rules and rituals. They just live to please God. Just live to please Christ. Live to be faithful to his word. You don't have to worry about that type of thinking. And so the fruit of that is just this confusion and distorted views and practices. Also notice 
that these false teachers on Crete, anyways, were not standing up in large public gatherings and declaring their false teaching. Now, we do see in the Bible other times that's happened. We know that that happens all the time. Every weekend, every week now, uh, every YouTube video that's being watched where you've got people declaring false teaching. But what they were doing is they were taking it to the smaller context. In fact, look at verse 11. It says they were upsetting whole families. Well, how do they upset a whole family? They were introducing their false teaching into the homes. It was like face to face, house to house, door to door. And so instead of the big public, you know, uh, uh, tactic, it was let's get into the smaller context, be a little more subversive. And so they would, they would teach the father this doctrine, and then the father would have to, you know, come to, to maybe his children or his wife and say, here's, here's what we need to do. And they're like, wait, that, that's not what we've been taught. Or maybe vice versa. And so now whole households were getting stirred up and it was causing division. So a big part of fruit that you see with false teachers is it caused division and uncertainty even in families. And so it's sneaky. Now, some of you are sitting here going, okay, this is great and all, Chad, but um, we're not really concerned about Judaizers. I'm perfectly fine with my bacon. I'm not worried about ceremony or hand washing. Like, what do we need to be looking out for? And so let me give you something I heard a long time ago. I have no idea where this originated from, but here I am decades later uh, when I learned this as a young, young guy, and it served me well in discerning false teaching and also in helping others discern false teaching. And so it's called the mathematics of false teaching. If you're a math teacher, a math student, you're going to love this because you know, we're talking math. But here's, here's four ways you can know if a teaching deviates from God's word and it's false teaching. First, they're going to add to the Bible edition. The Bible's not enough. You also need this other book. You also need this other writing. You also need this other, you know, whatever. So we've got the Bible. That's good, but we've got to add to it, okay? Secondly, they're going to subtract from the deity of Christ. See, false teaching always takes away from the glory of Christ. And so you know it's false teaching when all of a sudden you hear things like, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. Jesus was just a martyr who died for his cause. Jesus was, he was, he was, he was a servant of God, but he wasn't God. And so you always see a subtraction away from the divinity of Christ. They try to empty him of who he is. Well, look, if Jesus was just a man who died on the cross, we haven't been given of anything. We haven't been forgiven of anything. He had to be divine. He had to be God for his blood to have the power to cleanse his sins. And so they add to the Bible, they subtract from the divinity of Christ, and they multiply the requirements of salvation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You need to follow Jesus and, right? This Jesus and, and they multiply all that. You've got you to go to church. You've got to do these sacraments. You've got to say these prayers. You've got you've to do these exercises. You've got to make sure you don't do this and you do do this. And if you keep all these rules as you follow Jesus, then, then you're good. So they multiply the requirements. There's only one requirement, faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. And, and, and that transforms your life. And also, lastly, they divide the church body. They divide the body of Christ. Now, look, we don't need any help arguing. <laughs> if, if anything hasn't shown you that over the last six months, right, okay? We don't need any help arguing. And there's a lot of things that we might differ on. But when you start to get underneath some disputes with church, sometimes it's a doctrinal issue. It's rooted in a, an important doctrine. Why else do we have so many denominations? Why else do we have so many different types of churches and belief systems out there? And so just like these guys got in and were disturbing households, 
Uh, we still see that today where they'll get in and they'll divide the body of Christ. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, what are some examples? Look, there's a long list of false teachings that you need to be aware of. There's a ton right now. If, if you try to Google religion, Google faith, look, do, Rabbi Google has got a lot of stuff on there. I don't recommend always seeing what Rabbi Google has to offer you, right? And I got together with some of our staff this last week, and we were just discussing some of the more dangerous belief systems right now that we feel are infiltrating the church over the, over the years. And there's a lot of them, but here's, here's just a few that I think uh, you need to make especially be aware of. The prosperity gospel, right? The prosperity gospel is that God rewards and increases those who have great faith with increased health and wealth. The prosperity gospel is health and wealth. Well, good luck. Go, go to another country full of people who love Jesus who don't have a lot of health and a lot of wealth. And tell them that you know, God doesn't love them, that they're, they're doing it wrong, right? So this is, this is a corrupt teaching. If you want to really get a good um, lesson on the prosperity gospel, I recommend a movie, kind of a documentary to you called The American Gospel. Uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime, Netflix. It's out there. It's two, it's two hours worth your time that will show you what the prosperity gospel is all about. And so look at the prosperity gospel. There's also this view called moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, those who subscribe to this wouldn't call it that, but this is what it is. And MTD, or moralistic therapeutic deism, has especially infiltrated our, our, our young adults and our teenagers. It's the view that God is a cosmic therapist. And basically, he exists but he's not part of our lives. And the only time he's involved is when we need some help. We need some therapy. And we're not doing that good, all right? Uh, also, God wants us to be good, and God wants us to be happy, and all good people go to heaven. It's moralistic. It's all about being good. It's therapeutic in the sense that I only go to God if I need some sort of spiritual therapy, and it's deism. Well, there's a God, but he's not really involved. And so that, that, that's crept into the church. You've got to be aware of that. Also, secular humanism. Secular humanism is creeping into the church where uh, secular humanism means the material world is all that exists. There's no God. There's no spiritual dimension. There's no afterlife. Therefore, man is the measure of all things. Man is the ultimate. He's the autonomous norm. He's a law unto himself, and his reason and his emotion are the basics of our ethics. And so you start to see how people believing in people power, right? Related to that, but a little bit different, is this other one that's really creeping in real time. It's expressive individualism. It's called expressive individualism. Expressive individualism basically is this view that the highest good is individual freedom and happiness. It's self-definition. It's self-expression. So it draws people into isolation. It draws people into groups that only think like they think. And uh, you can really call it meism or meology if you want to. It sounds like this, you be you, follow your heart, be true to yourself. Well, what if you're true to yourself, but it violates God's word? Now what are you going to do? And so we see this expressive individualism creeping in. Now there's many, many, many others out there, but you have to be alert to this false teaching. And that leads us to the, the last couple observations we make. The first is the response to false teachers. This is the fifth point, the response to false teachers. Well, Paul tells Timothy in verse 11, they must be silenced. Literally means to muzzle the false teaching. Verse 13, then he says, also rebuke them sharply. So Titus must be very firm in dealing with this false teaching because it's going to infiltrate and corrupt the young church. 
And so uh, that, that was his command to, to follow. And I would say ours is the same thing, that when we identify false teaching, we're to silence false teaching and we're to rebuke it. Now, rebuking sounds very harsh. It can be. And sometimes it does need to be sharp. It was definitely needing to be sharp for Titus because he was on Crete. And right before verse 13, it says these Cretans are, you know, liars and brutal beasts, evil beasts, and that they were lazy gluttons. So shark rebuke was going to work the best. But sometimes in our context, just, just a good, loving rebuke is enough. But rebuke, by the way, in the original Greek is the word elecho, ele, uh, it's elecho, which means to refute, to prove someone an error by exposing them and bringing the issue to light, to call someone to account for the error. And so rebuking is not vindictive, it's corrective in nature. It's, it's us silencing someone by reason, not by harm. And so we're called to call it out when it happens. So whether that's one-on-one in a relationship, a life group, hey, you hear something from this platform that doesn't line up with the core doctrines of the faith, then, then we've got to talk. Now, remember, there are a lot of phenomenal believers that, that have a difference of opinion on the non-essentials. So we're not talking about like, hey, I've got to talk to you. You guys, baptism, you're baptized by doing one dunk backwards. Well, you should be doing three dunks forwards. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. Or the timeline of when Christ returns. Like there's different views on how to interpret Revelation and, and different aspects. And, and you've got amazing theologians true to God's word on both sides of us. We're talking about rebuking that which is related to the core essentials of the faith. The nature of God, the character of God, the deity of Christ, the reliability of the Bible, the reality of heaven, the reality of hell, all those things. And so you hear something from this platform that doesn't fit God's word, you send us an email like, hey, we've got to talk about this thing because um, it sounds like you said we can lose our salvation. Can you tell me more about that? Like, let's talk. And so you, you have to be willing to rebuke um, and silence false doctrine. And then the last observation is the hope for false teachers. Why was Titus instructed to rebuke them? Obviously to protect the church. That's the primary objective. But also we see in verse 13 and 14, Paul says this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. These are people that were devoting themselves to Jewish myths, to religion. He said, no, rebuke them so that they can be corrected and maybe be convinced of the truth. And so our hope is for false teachers to be converted to the truth. Like it's a win if a, if a false teacher is converted to the truth of God's word, not just eliminated and expelled. But if they won't, then, then you've got to get it out. It's like a spiritual cancer. And so uh, we see here that there's hope for those who don't teach truth, that maybe our hope in confronting them is that they will teach truth. And so six real neat observations, the reality of false teachers, the character of false teachers, the motives of false teachers, the fruit of false teachers, the response to false teachers, and the hope for false teachers. But what does that, what does that mean for us? Like what action steps can we take as individuals, but also as a family of faith? as a community when it comes to false doctrine, false teaching. I want to give you four uh, really summary action steps here. And I'm going to say these four words, discern, identify, confront, correct. Moving forward, my hope today is that this has motivated you and helped you to desire to be able to discern, identify, confront, and correct, which means this. When, not if, when you hear false teaching, you can discern it. You're like, wait a minute, that sounds off. Like that, that doesn't sound like Scripture. So your spidey sense is kind of going, nah, I don't know about this, right? And then you can take the next step and identify, like, what is it that's off? Oh, wait a second. Mathematics of, hey, they're adding to the Bible. 
Wait a minute, they're taking away from the deity of Christ. Wait a minute, they're multiplying, you know, the, the requirements of salvation. Like you can identify what it is, but wait a minute, that sounds like that moralistic therapeutic deism stuff. Oh, wait a minute, they're, they're taken away from the deity. Like you can identify what it is, and then you can confront it. And you can confront that friend, that family member, that life group, you know, member, and say, hey, look, you said this the other day. I don't know if you realize this, but that's actually not scriptural. You do it lovingly. You don't do it pompous. You, you do it humbly. And then you correct them. Let's go to God's word and see what God does say. Well, I know what the Bible says. People are saying this right now. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I feel, look, I don't care what you feel. That's not what God says. Well, I don't know what the Bible says, but I think, look, God doesn't submit himself to what we think and feel. We submit our thoughts and feelings to what God says. And so we have to learn to discern it. Ah, something's off. Identify it. Oh, I think I know what that is. Confront it in love. Rebuke that if you can't, right? And then correct it and show what God does say. So I hope that you can step into that. Now, if you're kind of wondering where you're at on these areas, let me give you three reflection questions really fast before we wrap it up to help you. Here's one question maybe you want to ask yourself as you're thinking about this. How confident do I feel in identifying and correcting false doctrine? Like, on a 1 to 10 scale, 1 very low, 10 very high, like how confident do I feel in identifying and correcting that? The second is actually a very important question too. How willing am I to be corrected if I'm believing or teaching false doctrine? Right? On a scale of 1 to 10, it's like, good luck, I'm not moving. It was like, wow, I, I never thought about that. Tell me more. Like how willing are you to have someone point something out if it's an error to God's word? And the third question I have for you is this. What's your next best step to grow in this area of being a disciple of Jesus? Like, What do you need to do to, to be more um, humble to receive correction, to be more um, loving and bold to give correction? And so uh, what's your next best step with that? Now, obviously, time in God's Word is the most important because the more time you spend in God's Word, the more easily you'll identify something outside of God's Word. But on top of that, spend time doing some deeper dives in doctrine. And so uh, our staff, some of our staff have compiled a list of reliable, recommended resources. Because again, you can't always go with Rabbi Google, right? Okay. And so if you go to our blog on this website, if you go to our social media today, if you download the study guide, don't forget every week we have a study guide that goes with this message for personal devotional, family devotional, life groups. Um, on that study guide as well, we have a list of commentaries, websites, uh, family discipleship tools that our children's and youth ministries recommend, all those kinds of things uh, to help you do a deeper dive. And I would just say make the commitment to do it. Like what would it look like for your personal understanding of theology if you took 25% of the time that you spent scrolling social media and listening to the news and instead use it to study doctrine? Like how much more would you know? How much more proficient would you be? And so we have to become people who do some deeper dives in doctrine. So a uh, couple of ways you can respond today uh, that I want to invite you to as we wrap it up here. Um, and we're going to do Lord's Supper in a minute, which is going to be exciting. And I've got a special guest who's going to lead us in that. But today, if anything we talked about has triggered your need for a conversation, please text us at our response number, 440-276-5575. And text the word connect. Like, I need to connect with you. And maybe that true or false quiz we did in the beginning, you're like, I, I answered differently. And I don't know why, 
uh, text connect, go like, hey, I got a question. And we'll get a conversation going and see how we can help you with maybe some doctrinal stuff you've got question marks about. Also, as we've talked about this relationship with Jesus and being right with God, if you don't know Christ and you specifically want to know more about Jesus or are ready to give your life to Jesus, text the word Jesus to that response number and we'd love to help you walk out the next steps of becoming a follower of Christ. With that, let's pray and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Father, thank you again for your word, for truth. Thank you for loving us enough to provide truth for us hope for us, guidance for us, correction for us. Father, thank you for rebuking us when we're wrong through the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word. God, help us as the church, that we, the church, would be defenders of sound doctrine and that we would do it lovingly or that we would do it boldly. And if ever need to, Lord, we could do it firmly. God, to preserve and protect your people and what they believe and the outcome and fruit of false doctrine but also, Lord, so that we can walk with greater confidence in you and who you are. So we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen.